Thank you so much, team. Uh, at this time, the kids are dismissed to their program. Really uh, interesting weather today. Woke up, it's sunny, and then it's raining. And when we first woke up this morning, it was foggy. We're on our way here. It's like, wow, that's a strange, a strange fog. Not like they get out in the valley, but some of you here from the valley. But, but nonetheless, foggy. Sometimes fog can get you in trouble. I was... Um, Years ago, driving this terrible commute up to seminary from San Diego. Um, so we lived in Escondido, North San Diego County, and I drive up uh, I-5 to La Mirada in, in L.A. County a couple times a week, and sort of on autopilot on the freeways. And one day I'm just driving along I-5, and it's kind of foggy, and uh, I was, you know, kind of zoned out. And all of a sudden I realized I'm not on I-5. Uh, this is, things, you know, started to look really unfamiliar, and it was this startling kind of wake-up call. What in the world happened? Well, I'd suddenly peeled off on, I think, 57 North, and they're just getting further and further apart, and uh, like, oh my goodness, what? I'm not going to make it to class on time. Uh, it's, it's a problem. It was this rude awakening, this, uh, where in the world am I? I thought, what would have happened if I just continued on that route and thought, well, I'm sure it'll just work its way out um, eventually. Uh, I'd end up at, uh, what's that water park called in San Dimas? I'd end up there instead of school, which wouldn't be all bad, except that uh, it's not remotely where I was trying to go. Well, sometimes in life, (laughs) we veer off just a little bit. We get ourselves going on a path that we didn't intend to. And what we really need is this aha moment of, uh, how did I get here? <laughs> this is not where I was headed. This is not where I belong. I'm on a road that ends in destruction, in fact, and I need to uh, get out of here right away. We try to convince ourselves that uh, this path we're on is just barely off God's path. <laughs> it kind of runs parallel. It looks kind of the same. You know, it's the same kind of signs, the same kind of things going on, and yet uh, it ends up somewhere entirely different. In kind of recovery prob- programs, they call this a denial. Like, no, it's okay, I'm, I'm fine, it's just, you know, a little bit of a problem, I could change whenever. And so this morning we're talking a little bit about denial from Ezekiel. Because the Bible is full of uh, messages of profound blessings, and really helpful instructions, and deep comforts. But for those of us uh, in denial, it also has some strong warnings, some wake-up calls, some aha moments of what in the world are you doing over there? And sometimes that's in the form of of calamity, or we might call it uh, judgment from God. And so our, our big idea, our main point, if you're following along in the notes, is that God does bring calamity on those, even those he loves, but not without good reason. I think this is Ezekiel's wake-up message uh, today. His message uh, in the chapters uh, 4 to 7 of Ezekiel is, uh, disaster's coming, and you're about to hit bottom, and here's why. (laughs) So I think it's really helpful for us. Here's kind of the setting, uh, just kind of catch us up, especially for those who are just joining us. We're going through the book of Ezekiel. Well, uh, the nation of Judah had just kind of declined, 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 and finally, it was attacked by uh, Babylon. A um, bunch of people were taken as exiles, prisoners of war. But, but the city itself and the, and the temple stayed kind of more or less 
uh, intact. And, uh, and that's kind of where we, we pick up the story. Last week we saw that Ezekiel had this crazy encounter with God where uh, the Lord kind of opened up heavens and showed Ezekiel a glimpse of himself that just blew Ezekiel's mind and he sat there stunned for a week and then the Lord called him to a task of being his spokesman, kind of like he calls us to be his spokespeople for, for his cause. Well, today uh, we're going to look at Ezekiel's actual message that the Lord gave him for for the people who were uh, really refugees in Babylon. So we'll be in Ezekiel chapters 4 to 7. We won't cover every word today, so I hope you'll go home and, and read that. If you didn't bring a Bible with you or don't have it on a device or whatever, there's some Bibles in the pew in front of you, and this, I believe, is on page 694. Here, here's kind of what happens in these chapters that we're, we'll look at. Uh, chapters 4 and 5, Ezekiel does these really dramatic... Um, object lessons that he, he acts out. It's like pantomimes or, um, you know, enacted parables, so to speak. And he does it without really saying anything. And then in chapters uh, 6 and 7, he opens his mouth and he explains uh, the significance of, of these pantomimes that he's doing. So really, here's my hope this morning is that um, if you happen to have, you know, veered off of God's good path, let Ezekiel be a wake-up call. And if you've ever wondered about God's uh, judgment, you'll see the reasonableness and purposefulness of all the things that, that God does. So first, let's look at Ezekiel's silent message, which if you had to sum it up, it's this. To all in denial, wake up. <laughs> That's kind of boiling it down. God was about to take away the one thing that his people were trusting in. The one thing that they were holding out hope for, he was about to pull this out from underneath them. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, a New American Commentary says, in spite of conquest by, of Judah by the Babylonians, the exiles were convinced of these two things. One, that Jerusalem itself would never be destroyed or never fall to a pagan power. And two, they believed that those taken hostage would be coming home soon. So these things they were, you know, putting their stake on. It's like, yes, we're, you know, we're, we're exiles here, but I'm sure we'll go home soon. Everything's going to work out. You know, the city's never been completely destroyed before. It's God's city. So, you know, we're kind of holding on to that. Ezekiel's message from God was, uh, no, that's not going to work. The very thing you're counting on, it will be taken. The city, the temple, a place to return home to. You cannot count on these things. And so Ezekiel enacts these, um, these parables for, for anyone who would, would come by and watch, and they're really uh, horrible. And uh, I had this inkling to enact some of them out for you this morning, but uh, I thought better of it and decided I'd just tell you the story instead. And so first we see he makes this horrible diorama. He makes this little model like... And is it fourth grade that you make the missions? I forget what it is. But anyway, third grade. So uh, he makes this model of, of Jerusalem. Uh, I'll just read the first few verses of chapter 4. It says, And you, son of man, this, this is the Lord speaking to Ezekiel. And you, son of man, take a brick and lay it before you and engrave on it a city, even Jerusalem. It's a real recognizable shape of a city. 
especially for those who live there. Like all of us here can trace the shape of California, I think. And verse 2, and put siege works against it and build a siege wall against it and cast up a mound against it and set camps all around it and plant battering rams against it all around. And you take an iron griddle and place it as an iron wall between you and the city and set your face toward it and let it be in a state of siege and press the siege against it. This is a sign for the house of Israel. And I just couldn't help thinking as a, as a kid, how do we build these little things out of Lego or whatever, and then, and then you, you kind of destroy it. Um, Justin, I was actually thinking about your kid. I could just picture him doing that just like, just like I did. You know, you build this like... And Ezekiel's doing this, and people are standing by and, and watching. You know, what is he doing? He's building this city, carving it on this brick, and then he's, he's attacking this city. And then the Lord has him lie on his side, bound up, uh, for a portion of every day for over a year, just looking at that city, you know, staring down that city. And then he lies on his other side for, for over a month, you know, probably not 24 hours a day, but a portion of every day he would just lie there and look at this, this diorama. It was, it was this spectacle. People came like, oh, you got to check out Ezekiel. He's so weird. Go, and they go, they see him doing this thing. And it made me think of when we lived in Northern California. It was right around the time at... Uh, at UC Berkeley where they were trying to do some new construction and there's people living in trees to protest the, that construction. I don't know if you remember that. And, uh, and so they didn't want these, this grove to be taken. And so people would come and just watch like, oh yeah, you got to go see the people living in the trees. And so I feel like this is a little bit what Ezekiel must have been like there. The message of this, it was so obvious without saying a word, everyone knew that, oh, Jerusalem's going to fall because he built all the little siege towers against Jerusalem. Well, then he does this next, uh, this next you know, enacted parable where he makes some horrible bread. The Lord tells him, make and eat these tiny little portions. You could barely live on it uh, of this special bread. He gives him this recipe that's used various grains and beans. And I know some of you eat Ezekiel bread, and, and apparently it's decent bread, but that's not really the point in this, in this story. And because uh, you see, God actually tells him to do something really crazy. He says, I want you to cook that bread over human excrement. Now, if you've ever felt like God was prompting you to do something weird, like it's probably never been that weird. Uh, but this is what the Lord says to Ezekiel. And Ezekiel says, essentially, please, Lord, that's just wrong. I can't do that. And God relents and says, okay, you can cook it over. Uh, and that wouldn't have been that big a stretch because in, a, in a, a part of the world where there's not you know, much, much uh, firewood, they would probably, that would be routine to use um, you know, a cow pie mixed with straw to, to cook over. So he got the relief of being able to cook his terrible bread over a cow pie and drink just a, ter- a tiny little ration of water. So the message apparently in all this is uh, when Jerusalem's under siege, people are going to eat anything they could find and it's still not going to be enough. It's going to be just a terrible situation. This thing you're counting on, that Jerusalem's never going to be attacked, uh, it's going to happen. And then finally, uh, we see his third thing is, uh, it's a horrible haircut. Verses, uh, well, it starts the next chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Oh, you son of man, take a sharp sword. Anyone gotten a haircut with a sword before? 
Yeah, it just sounds terrible already. Use it as a barber's razor and pass it over your head and your beard. Um, and if I had hair, I could have maybe enacted this and cut it off, but it's pretty much gone already. He says, pass it over your head and your beard and then take balances for weighing and divide the hair. Okay, so he, he cuts off all his hair and his beard with a sword. This is why people came and washed Ezekiel. And he weighed his hair in three little even batches. And then uh, he took this, this hair, he burned a third of it in the city, a third of it he chopped up with the sword, and then a third of it he just tossed in. So just really, really kind of outlandish things that Ezekiel is doing. The message to the people was, when that city is attacked, some of them will die in the city. It'll be, it'll be burned. It'll be laid siege. It'll be leveled. Uh, some of them will die by the sword outside the city, and, and anyone that escapes will just be blown to the wind. <laughs> They'll be scattered abroad. So that thing you were counting on, holding out for, you, do, you, you can't count on that. The thing you thought would never be taken away, well, even that can be taken away. As I thought about this, I thought of the question of what, what do we count on <laughs> that won't be taken away outside of the Lord? Because as long as our lives seem to be in some sense of, I'm going to use the word equilibrium, it's like, okay, we've got kind of this balance, things are okay, then we tend to just stay in... Um, in our place of wandering. We, we don't come back to the Lord. We don't change our direction because, you know, things are just kind of, you know, working out. And we're going to just sort of assume it's going to be okay. I think of the unfaithful husband that just assumes, ah, she'll always take me back. Or the addict that says, well, I still have my job and my friends, so, you know, it can't be that bad. And Ezekiel says, no, that the thing that you're counting on, whoosh, even even that. And so his message is to all in denial, uh, wake up. The unthinkable can happen. And when the unthinkable does happen, what pops into our mind is why. <laughs> why, why this happen? You know, why, why, why this happened to me? What did, what did I do? Where did I go wrong? And so I think there's, as we look at why, there's a couple of uh, ways we could look at the word why. We could look backwards or we could look forwards. We could look at the cause or the purpose. We could say, why did this terrible thing happen? Well, because of such and such. Or why did this terrible thing happen? In order to dot, dot, dot. We'll look at both of those. Ezekiel answers both of those things for us. So first, uh, the cause the cause of God's judgment is repentant rebellion. So after all these silent object lessons, Ezekiel opens his mouth and explains. Verse 5 of chapter 5, he says, uh, this is what the Lord God says. He says, this is Jerusalem. So in case any of them didn't recognize their own city and didn't know what all this was about, he tells them, he's like, okay, all these siege tanks, that's, Siege tanks, not tanks. Siege, uh, siege works uh, are against Jerusalem. I've set her in the center of nations with countries all around her, and she has rebelled against my rules. By doing wickedness more than the other nations, 
and against my statutes more than the countries all around her, for they rejected my rules and have not walked in my statutes. The cause of Jerusalem's fall was not foolishness or bad politics or socially inappropriate behavior, but it was their rebellion against their God. That's what got them into that problem. God chose this group of people especially to be a light to the world. So the world could look on and see this group of people and say, oh, that is something special. God dwells with them. That's what it looks like to to represent God. And it should be a light to the nations. But he says, your problem is you're even worse than the nations around. You're, You're not... A light, you're, you're a black hole, you're a, you're a sinking uh, filth and, and uh, rejecting God and uh, unrepentant in that rejection. And so God warned them time after time over generations and generations until no longer could we ask the question of why does God sometimes judge unrepentant rebellion, but the question becomes why does God put up with so much for so long? <laughs> is really the question to ask at this point in time. So we picture again, we're driving on God's good highway. (laughs) We'll call it uh, God's good road. And we slightly veer off on our own road. And our road looks, again, parallel. On our road, we still go to church. It just kind of looks the same. We see the same signs. On our road, you know, we're still decent people. Except on our road... We make rules like, well, slandering other people is okay on my road. Or racism's fine as long as I speak in hushed tones. That's fine on my road. Otherwise, it looks like, it looks like God's road. It looks the same. Or sexual fantasy is not that big a deal if I don't act out. Or I can drink as much as I want as long as I don't drive. Or I don't really need to control my anger or my appetite or my greed on my road. But otherwise, it looks a lot like God's good road. And we just wander along on this road that veers further and further apart and goes places we never, ever want to go. And so God throws in some warning signs, like the book of Ezekiel. It says, hey, wake up. (laughs) You're on the wrong road. And he might send in some speed bumps that kind of disrupt our equilibrium, like, whoa, that was a close call. I didn't realize I was way over here. And we ignore it, and eventually our world comes crashing down around us, and then we ask, Why did this happen? (laughs) How did I get here? Well, in the case of Ezekiel, uh, in case there was any doubt, he he details some of where they went wrong, some of how they got there. I'm just going to skim some things in these these few chapters. Verse 7 of chapter 5, he says, uh, the problem is that you're more immoral than those people who don't even believe in God. In verse 11, he says, you, what problem you defiled my sanctuary with detestable things. Uh, in, in chapter 6, the first few verses, you, you have just abandoned me for idolatry. And you have created these twisted sex religion shrines all across the countryside, on the hills. Chapter 7, the first few verses, you're doing filthy, repulsive things. Then the rest of chapter 7. You're full of violence, and you're exploiting people, and you're greedy. So he just makes this long list of, here's, here's where you went wrong, <laughs> so to speak. In the end of chapter 7, he summarizes it. He says, according to their way, 
In other words, exactly what they deserve, I will do to them. And interesting, according to their judgments, I will judge them. And so God's saying, I'm going to judge you uh, because that's uh, exactly what you deserve. It's just right in accordance with what you've been doing. And also I'm going to judge you because of the way you judge other people. You're pointing the finger everywhere else saying, oh, look how they're you know, terrible. They're doing these things. Meanwhile, you're still doing these kinds of things. So God says, enough of that. God's judgment is in line with what we deserve, and it's in line with how we judge others. So the, the cause of God's judgment is unrepentant rebellion, looking back. But what is the purpose of God's judgment? And before that, I just have to pause, and those of you who've been around a while and, and know me, know that I don't just uh, thrive on bringing a bad message. But... Uh, but all of God's word is good for us. The fun parts, the encouraging parts, the comforting parts, and the really hard parts like this section of Ezekiel. It's what we need to hear, especially if we've gotten off on this little road and it goes further and further and further and ends in a place we never wanted to go. We need Ezekiel. So what is the purpose when God uh, judges people? especially when he judges his own, it's that people would know him. This is what God is intending to accomplish. And I find this in this little verse tucked away here, chapter 5, verse 13. It says, And they shall know that I am the Lord. But I also found it here in verse uh, 7 of chapter 6. It says, And you shall know that I am the Lord. And it turns out it's in verse 10 also. It says, And they shall know that I am what? The Lord. Well, then I kept looking and I see in verse 13 of chapter 6, And you shall know that I am the Lord. And verse 14, Then they will know that I am the Lord. And then in the next chapter 7, verse 4, Then you will know that I am the Lord. And verse 9, Then you will know that I am the Lord. And verse 27, and they shall know that I am the Lord. So uh, in case anybody missed it the first time, (laughs) he's saying, this is the reason this is all going down. It's not because, um, you know, I'm vindicative. It's not because I'm I'm ticked off. It's not because I'm just arbitrary um, or mean. It's because I want people to know that, that I'm the Lord. That's what he's doing. God desires to be known. What what does he want people to know? He wants people to know that he exists. (laughs) He wants people to know what kinds of things are important to him. He wants us to know that he is sovereign. He's the one that's really ultimately calling the shots. He wants us to know that he's not indifferent. (laughs) We can learn all these things when our world kind of falls apart. What would the surrounding nations that are looking on uh, Judah over these generations, what would they uh, conclude if the people that are called by God's holy name are acting uh, more filthy and selfish and degenerate than everybody else around there? And this this just went on and on and on, generation after generation. What uh, conclusion would they come to? Probably either God doesn't exist or maybe God doesn't care. 
And God says, I, I don't want anybody thinking that. <laughs> what, what about for us? If, what if people, anybody that called on the name of Jesus, that wore that title of Christian, what if we lived just filthy lives day in, day out, and uh, nothing really bad happened to us? People would think that God maybe is a good luck charm, <laughs> but they wouldn't know that God is holy and that God cares. So God has to act for the sake of his name so that we might know him. So if your world's falling apart, the question is, ah, what is God doing here? <laughs> what is God speaking to me? What, what does he have for me in the middle of this? But I don't want anybody in this room to misunderstand uh, what I'm saying this morning. I'm not saying that if terrible things happen, it's God's judgment. That is not what I'm saying. Terrible things happen all the time. It's because this world is, is just broken, okay? Um, our bodies are frail. Um, nature is volatile. Uh, people are, are victims of other people's uh, evil. Terrible things just happen all the time, and it doesn't mean that it's God's judgment. I think of all these biblical examples. Joseph, uh, his brothers did terrible things to him. They threw him in a pit. They were going to kill him, but they decided to make a buck instead, and they sold him. And the end of life, Joseph says, well, you meant evil in this, but God meant it for good. He saved a whole nation. He saved a whole people group because of uh, that series of events that from the pit and then into Egypt and into the palace, uh, God was doing something bigger. That, that's one thing that one reason bad things sometimes happen. Think of uh, the Apostle Paul who had some kind of affliction that just, uh, just plagued him. And he asked God several times, oh, please just take this away. I was like, no, you, you need that so you can trust me. Think of, uh, of Jesus. <laughs> the most horrific thing in the world happened to him. And uh, was that judgment on, on him, something he did wrong? No, no, that was for our benefit. So Ezekiel's not talking about all those things, and, and it's good to know that God can redeem even those things. Ezekiel's talking about a certain scenario where we go our own way, and we live in rebellion toward God, and we just don't repent, and God pulls the carpet out from underneath us so that we might know him and come back to him. So when I'm in denial, what I mostly need to realize is that God is the Lord. <laughs> and that means that I'm not the Lord. <laughs> I'm not the master. He is. So the purpose is that people would know him. So this is a very heavy message from Ezekiel to a group of people who were already kind of kicked down. They were already uh, refugees, um, but they still weren't trusting in God. Um, it's a very heavy message, but even in the middle of this, there is hope. Well, the whole last part of the book is just full of such glorious hope that it just blows our minds. But even here at the darkest part of the book, there's hope. I want to turn your attention back to chapter 5. I know we've been just kind of skipping all over the place. Remember Ezekiel's uh, horrible haircut? So he gets a lump of hair and he burns it in the city. Some of his hair he chops up outside the city. Some of it he throws to the wind. But of some of that, he takes just a little pinch of it. And he tucks it inside of his pocket.
pocket, so to speak. Verse 3 of chapter 5, uh, God says, You shall take from these a small number, this is talking about the hairs, and bind them in the skirts of your robe. I know all you guys have skirts and robes, but uh, that's why I'm saying pocket. And what this was is a picture of, of God is taking that little piece of remnant and saving them. That little remnant that he's preserving that will not uh, be wiped out in this, this horrible calamity, those people will be the ones that, that speak of, of God and what he's like and who he is. Those people will be the ones that he rebuilds and restores, restores into a glorious thing and brings them back. So even in the midst of this heavy message, God's saying, look at this, there's always hope. I'm doing something here. There's, a, there's always hope when we turn to God. As we get to know God, we learn what he likes and what he doesn't like. It turns out that God doesn't like to bring ruin on people. <laughs> it turns out he loves to welcome home the wayward. Uh, the psalmist says it a bunch of different ways in kind of similar, similar language to this in, in uh, chapter or the Psalm 86, verse 15. He says, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and in faithfulness. This is what God's like. The first thing God wants to do is show mercy. The last thing God wants to do is to show his anger. This is what God is like. Jesus in the New Testament tells a story about how God welcomes those who've, who've wandered, who've gone off on their own past, path, they've gotten lost in the fog and ended up in some really ridiculous place. He tells the story of the, the prodigal. This is, uh, I'd like to read just as verses 20 to 24 of Luke 15. This is when the wayward son decides to come home. Verse 20, and the wayward son, he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Remember, the father represents God here. The father saw him and he felt compassion and he ran and he embraced and he embraced him and he kissed him. Well, then the son says to the father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat. Let us celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and he is found. And they began to celebrate. If you've wandered off a little or a lot, the father's there with open arms, saying, come back to me. I, I loved, I'm quick to forgive. I want to restore you. I want to plop you back onto God's good road. He's, he's anxious to do that for you. Don't just persist in your way. It leads places you never want to go. Let this morning, let this um, conversation with Ezekiel be an off-ramp for you. <laughs> Say, oh, okay, I'll take, I'll take this one. I won't continue on. Here, here's a challenge just in simple words is, if you veered away from God, wake up and turn around. 
Let, let this be that day. Um, run back into God's uh, open arms this morning. I'd like to invite the, the team to come back up as they, they lead us in a song about this, this very thing of coming back to the Lord. Uh, let me pray for us. Uh, God in heaven, you are so holy and so um, powerful and so so mighty, and you've revealed yourself to us even in just little glimpses, and it's it's mind-boggling. And we should just be drawn to worship you. And yet, sometimes we we turn our backs instead, and we just do our own things, and we by our actions say we don't really care what you think, and we don't care that you're the king, and and that takes us down a path of uh, of really destruction. Lord, may you just grab us out of that this morning. May we uh, see the warning sign of Ezekiel as a real blessing. Saying, oh, thank you for, for letting me know. And may we come back into your arms. Thank you for your, your graciousness t- toward us. Thank you for sending us Jesus that makes it all possible. And it's in his name we pray these things. Amen.